kei ngā ihuihu o ngā maunga whakahi, kei ngā wai whakatere tanifa, nau mai, tahuiti mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei e mihi atu nei ki a koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori current affairs for all New Zealanders. E tarua ke nei. He suffered a major heart attack after his diabetes went undiagnosed. And they said if you had the medicine back then, you wouldn't have been here. We meet the Peita whānau, who've been locked in a battle with ACC to get the support they desperately need. It's fight to the death, and some people do die before ACC comes to the party. And we talk to Minister of Health Andrew Little about our ailing mental health system. Māori are twice as likely to be diagnosed over the course of their life with diabetes. So when Steve Pather thought he was suffering the symptoms of diabetes, he went to his doctor for answers. But he never received a diabetes diagnosis or treatment for the condition, a decision which would lead to the Pather Fano fighting a long-running battle to get the support he needs. Anaita Pūrongo a John Boynton. In 2014, Steve Pather suffered a major heart attack and he was shocked to learn what caused it. The doctor came up to me and he said, did you know you had diabetes? You've had it for a while, Mr Pather, a long time. And I said, well, it's caused a lot of damage. But the Pather Fano had tried to get a diagnosis for Steve years earlier. Why didn't I tell the doctor he... <laughs> Was wrong. They've been locked in a six-year fight with ACC. The undertone was effectively, Steve's to blame. He's big, he's fat, lazy, he should have done more. That's why he now has diabetes. That's why he's had heart failure. In the West Auckland suburb of Massey, towering power pylons dominate the suburban surrounds. For 30 years, Steve Pather worked atop of these pylons as an electrical linesman. Why was it such a passion for you? Oh, just different people. Need heaps of different guys. Workmates were all good, you know. The job was interesting, never the same. He worked up to 60 hours a week, making a good living. I put a lot in it because of where I wanted to be. I wanted my family to have something. All that has been taken away because you believe you were never diagnosed with diabetes? Yes, that's correct, yeah. For the last seven years, Steve's been fighting a debilitating battle to stay alive. And it's a battle his whānau is convinced he could have avoided had his doctors listened to them when they asked for help. This is just taking a toll on us personally, and my family and myself. Yes, it has. Around 2006, Steve and his wife, Jane Pather, first noticed something was wrong with Steve's health. What kind of symptoms were you experiencing? Oh, one major one, I just slept, you know, I fell off to sleep at the lights going red, you know? And my wife turned around, she saw the lights go green, she turned around and looked at me and she saw me asleep at the wheel. Steve put it down to his long work hours, but Jane believed he was showing the symptoms of diabetes. He was lethargic, had a major craving for sugar, and constantly had to urinate. So the couple went to Steve's doctors, and tests were run to find out what was wrong. 
did you feel like you were on the track to yeah. getting a diagnosis? Or I was relieved. I was like, yes, we're going to get this sorted. Steve's blood test results showed he had a fasting blood glucose level of 9.6. Anything higher than 7 indicates possible diabetes. Based on the blood tests that they ran, he was classed as diabetic and he needed to be medicated immediately, which we thought, cool, we were right. But in his doctor's opinion, Steve's numbers weren't that high. And he thought with a few lifestyle changes, Steve could go on without diabetes medication. So he never prescribed any. At the time, doctors noted Steve was morbidly obese. He was six feet tall and 117 kilograms. What did you think when he said that? I didn't believe that just losing weight was going to make massive changes. But, you know, he was the doctor and we... You trusted his word? Yeah, absolutely. And who are we to argue with the doctor? That was pretty much what we were sent away with. Lose a bit of weight, start exercising more. Did you ever feel like you needed another medical opinion to go to another doctor's? I trusted him. That's, that's where it came down to. And, and you build that trust with a, with a doctor. And I've been there for at least six years before that. Although he did lose some weight, his symptoms would come and go. And I put that on the back burner, really, you know, and carried on. In the subsequent years, did diabetes ever get mentioned again? The doctor said then that going forward, he would keep an eye on Steve and intermittently test him, I guess. But the Paitafano says this never happened. Despite him being seen by numerous GPs at the same practice, over the years. These doctors also had access to the same information, but nobody picked up on anything or was alarmed about what they had seen. Did they look? Did they read his notes? I don't think so. Thinking everything was okay, Steve took up a lucrative job as a linesman in Australia. The couple moved over to start a new life. It was a big, huge step for us, moving away from the kids and the mokos. It was exciting, and we thought, you know, it was a good move for us. But a year later, their Australian dream would come to an abrupt end. After a physical day of work, Steve went home feeling major pain in his left shoulder. I thought I was just worked it too much, but it just wouldn't go away. It just kept going, and then I decided, you know, instead of going to the doctors, we were going to the hospital. And thank God we did. They did a blood test. They came out and they said, oh, you're having a massive heart attack. They hit me with morphine. Bang, I was out, man. Steve suffered major damage to his heart. His arteries were clogged and hardened. His blood sugar levels were sky high at 22. And he was told his heart attack was caused by untreated diabetes. And they said, if you had the medicine back then, you wouldn't have been here. Trying to explain to the surgeons and the cardiologists there that we did try to get him diagnosed and medicated, we were being looked at like, you know, no, doctors don't do that. The couple had to wait a year for Steve to become well enough to travel back to Aotearoa. What kind of medical care did Steve need once he did return home? 
cardiologists, endocrinologists. He had to learn about diabetes. We both did. It's not just diabetes and it's not just a heart condition. It's everything else that goes with it. Since his heart attack, Steve's been unable to work and Jane became his full-time carer. For the last 25 years, he had been the main earner for their blended whānau of five children. He struggles with the fact that he can't go back to work. You know, he wants to go back to work. That was his life. He went from earning up to thousands a week to struggling to make ends meet on a benefit. And the Paita whānau were forced to sell their family home of 20 years. What financial toll has it taken? Oh, just everything, you know. It's just like we, we we could afford a house, you know. We could pay our mortgages and that. And we had to sell up. You know, our kids were brought up there, our grandkids. My grandson sometimes asks his mother just to drive him past the house. It's been a massive loss. Mm. I could be still working now. It's a hard call, that one. I don't know who to blame there. Coming up, Steve turns to ACC for help, but instead he's dragged through a six-year battle for answers. Ultimately, he's fighting for a fraction of what his true value was to his family, for the life that he once had. Araki mai anō. Steve Pater and his whānau lost everything when he suffered a major heart attack and he says it was caused by diabetes which was never treated by his doctors. So the whānau turned to ACC for answers and support but found themselves in a six year long claims process. Anei te wāhanga tūrua o tēnei kaupapa. After fighting for his life over the last seven years, Steve Pater tries not to look too far ahead. Every time I go into the doctors, man, it's like if we have this operation, it's a 30, 70, Steve, that you pull through. In 2014, Steve suffered a major heart attack from untreated diabetes. It's left his heart failing, he's going blind, losing his teeth, and suffers uncontrollable seizures. Now can I have a lolly? Very so he tries to make the most of his time with his whānau. One of his favourite activities is taking his moko to sports. Today he's at his grandson's league training. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I get out here and watch our mokos train most days. They have training and most times they go to the games. Yeah, love it. After suffering his heart attack, Steve turned to ACC for answers and financial support. Not an easy thing to do for such a proud man. You know, don't want to go and ask anyone for anything. Even though sometimes it's hard, uh, um, I don't want to go and ask anyone for anything. The Paytafano believed they had a strong case. Their claim centred on the fact Steve's doctors never diagnosed or treated him for diabetes, leading to his heart attack and subsequent health issues. But ACC didn't agree. They declined Steve's claim. For the last six years, it's been Jane who's tried to navigate the ACC system. So you've got a flood of paperwork here. Did you ever think you'd have to fight so hard to get justice for Steve? 
No, absolutely not. Not in my wildest dreams. Not to this extent. What does that pile there represent for you? Horror. <laughs> yeah, I can't even think of a word to describe just how bad it's been. Steve filed his claim in 2018. ACC first declined his claim in 2019. The Paythafano challenged this decision and ACC arranged a review, but still ended up declining Steve's claim in 2020. Burnt out from dealing with ACC, Jane ended up turning to social media for support. I couldn't do it anymore because I didn't feel that I, I had the knowledge to fight ACC and fight their processes. I looked for somebody on Facebook, actually, and found Daniel. He's an advocate for ACC, and, yeah, without him, we would have given up. Daniel Wood has supported a number of people drowning in the ACC system. A normal person picking up a simple injury, if you break your thumb, you break your leg or your hand, ACC system is beautiful. There's no real complexities to those things. It's the families that genuinely have a major incident, and it might start off minor, but can drastically change. Those are the ones that I worry about. Once Daniel looked into Steve's records, he realised he had a strong case. A treatment injury failure to treat is all about what the doctor didn't do, but more importantly, what the doctor should have done. And in this case, what the doctor didn't do is prescribe the medication Steve needed. How does a person take insulin or diabetes medication if they're never prescribed it? And I'm sitting here reading paperwork saying, he should have done this, he should have done that. How does he do it if he's never prescribed it? And he was disgusted at how ACC was treating Steve. They called him standard. morbidly obese. He was, yeah, five kgs heavier than he is now. The narrative was that Steve was to blame, the family were to blame. He didn't have his medication because he didn't go get this test or he didn't take his medication. But this year, a new clinical report by an endocrinologist would offer a glimmer of hope. The report was damning of Steve's medical care, saying GPs missed a number of chances to diagnose and treat him. I am left in no doubt, having reviewed the information available to me, that there was a delay and failure to diagnose diabetes and associated cardiovascular risk factors. Consequently, there was a failure to treat in a timely manner. Off the back of this report, ACC offered Steve cover for his heart failure, but not the diabetes which caused it. He had the heart attack because of not being diagnosed or treated for diabetes. A missed diagnosis with serious consequences for Steve. No matter how the family looks at it, Steve's going to die. He's going to die earlier than he would have. Not by a little bit, but by a lot. Last year, Steve had open heart surgery. His latest battle wound carved across his chest. How long can you carry on like this? That's a flip of a coin. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's all up to the man upstairs right now. Both ACC and the medical centre refused to be interviewed for the story. The medical centre said the doctors involved in Steve's claim no longer work at the practice. 
but this comes as little comfort to the paper whānau. But in a dramatic U-turn, a week after the hui made contact with ACC, it said it would cover the entirety of Steve's claim. So Jane and Steve, in the last week you've had some developments with ACC. What are those? We've been given a verbal apology over the phone and told that he will be getting cover um, for treatment injury and failure to treat diabetes. Did you ever think you'd hear those words? Never. No. <laughs> no. How frustrating has this fight been? It's pretty disgusting, eh? Yeah. yeah. That we've had to fight this long and hard. They just drag yeah. you over the fire and push you and push you till you cease no more. It's fight to the death, and some people do die before ACC comes to the party. Although the couple is now moving forward, they're taking a cautious approach. What are those next steps with ACC now? The next steps are to hash through what exactly ACC will cover and won't cover and get him taken care of the way he should have been years and years ago. While Steve won't return to his job on the power lines, at least he has some hope for the future. It wasn't a dull moment in our lives, that's for sure. And I'm glad we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, John Boynton, Thera Purongo. Following on from our story, the Peitafano is still working through with ACC. What support Steve will be entitled to? We'll keep you updated. Andrew Little. The Ministry of Health has come under fire this week after it was revealed that just 0.2% of 235 million set aside for building mental health and addiction facilities has actually been spent. The money was part of a $1.9 billion mental health package announced in 2019. But three years on, just five extra acute mental health beds have materialised. The news comes just weeks after mental health advocate Mike King returned to his New Zealand order of merit and frustration over what he describes as a broken health system. Hey, matapaki tēnei take ka fakafiti atu tato inaine ki pōneke ki te minita take haura ki Andrew Little. Tēnā koe i te minita, um, you want to do a stock take of Tēnā. the mental health spend so far. Wouldn't it be better to just get on spending and the organisations that are already set up? Yeah, look, I really regret to tell you that much of what you said in your introduction is actually factually incorrect. So let me go through some of those things. Uh, $1.9 billion committed in 2019. About $800 million of that has gone to departments other than the Ministry of Health, so Corrections, Education, uh, MSD, and they are doing stuff with it. Of the $1.1 billion that Health has got, I can tell you that uh, nearly $750 million of that has either been spent or committed for the four-year period over the, the, the period of change that we're doing. About nearly $300 million has actually been uh, sort of gone out the door up to, to this week. Of the $235 million for building or, or seriously upgrading five uh, acute facilities that are in desperate need of it, um, actually, a lot more than the 0.2% you talked about has been spent. About $9 million, actually, 
The nature of these facilities are they do take a, a, a long time in terms of planning and then construction. Construction for none of them was due to begin until next year. $9 million has been spent on the planning, the consenting and getting things ready. So that stuff is happening. Okay. In terms of what's already making a difference, but in terms of what's already making a difference, one thing I can tell you, 520 extra positions now in place in primary mental health care and addiction, people in GP clinics, community clinics, Kaupapa Māori Health Service, Pacific Health Services, people there actually seeing people with mild to moderate mental health conditions, giving advice and already making a difference. Okay, so let's just put to the side those five um, new builds on the mental health facilities and deal with uh, uh, people who are actually still waiting. What we do know is that there are people that wait for weeks and weeks and weeks to get some assistance who are suffering from mental health services. So why not actually start pouring some of the money into already set up and already built facilities um, NGOs and and the, and the likes, for, you know, to reach those people who are desperate now. So we are already doing that. So apart from the five, as you talked about, there's 11 other projects that we're doing for mental health facilities, which are you know much um, much smaller kind of upgrades and improvements and additions, and uh, and that stuff is happening. One of the big challenges we've got is of course the workforce, the skilled workforce that you need uh, for mental health care and addiction. We put in another 70 million dollars two years ago, but we know that you know getting a new psychiatrist, getting a new clinical psychologist, getting somebody um, competent with counselling, with talk therapies, that takes a while. We've put a lot more into those already in the health professions who want to move into mental health care. We've been investing. It doesn't make well. sense, though, because what we're told th by people like Mike King, who's running, you know, the NGO uh, Gumboot Friday, is that they are getting mm. referrals from DHBs uh, because they can't deal with, with with the numbers that they've got. So you've got organisations like Gumboot Friday who can who are doing 166 sessions a month. They're cheap, $140 a session. The wait time's 48 hours, and most of them are seen within six days. It seems crazy that the ministry has got a, a, hasn't hasn't committed some of that money when you've got organisations like that that are ready to go. Um, so two things there. Um, so the stuff that we funded. Um, Today, the primary mental health care and addiction stuff, we're seeing roughly 10,000 people a month doing between 14 and 15,000 sessions a month um, with, um, with those people. On uh, other programs, we know that other programs, particularly those pitched, pitching to young people and children, there are criteria that have to be met, and I know some people call it bureaucratic, but we have a law that says anybody providing professional services to children have to have to go through a vetting process. That's one of the conditions that has to be met. But so we, we are providing... We're in the middle of a health crisis. We've got people in crisis all the time. We're told that, that you know, they're talking to, to media all around the country, they're writing new letters... You know, are we, are we mm. putting perfection mm. in front of progress here? Uh, is the Ministry of Health being gatekeepers because their procurement is old-fashioned? Do they have to, you know, t to change it up? Yeah, I mean, the last time people said that, said don't worry about the children, just, just let anybody see them. Um, of course, then we have a massive other crisis further down the track. We're simply not going to do that. That's, a really, right that's really unfair and when you're talking about places like Gumboot Friday because all, cause all of their... I'm not talking um, about Gumboot Friday. I'm not talking about Gumboot Friday. I'm talking about the standards that we set for when we provide professional services to children. This has been an issue that we have debated many, many years, and it led to Parliament passing a law a few years ago that said, you know what? 
children are too vulnerable um, to let, allow just anybody um, to, to, to deal with them on a, on a personal basis. We're actually going to have some safeguards in place and some standards, so that's what we do. When it comes to mental health care, part of the program is, is, already, is also to add to those services. So we are expanding Manaake, which is pitched to children. It came out of the, um, the mental health crises that arose in Canterbury. Um, we are continuing the picky pilot and we'll broaden that to other places around the country as well. We put an extra money into Youthline um, and so we are doing a number of things uh, to push to young people but also what we do in the primary mental health care and addiction area, those frontline roles that we've added, 520 around the country just so far, is making a difference to people of all ages. Uh, the Māori Party is on the receiving end of racial hate speech by white supremacists. Um, the Māori Party has invited you to develop a joint task force that targets anti-Māori campaigns. Will you? Have you responded? Um, yeah, I met with um, Te Pāti Māori MPs, um, Debbie and Rawari, and uh, in fact had um, the Director-General of the SIS with me and we had a good talk about that. I mean, the, the SIS and the police work pretty closely together on this stuff anyway, um, so I'm not sure there needs to be initially a joint task force, but this does certainly need to be, I think, a greater emphasis and, and I think accountability about the very extreme, vile, nasty stuff that is now being expressed against Māori, um, the threats against Marae, the threats against Māori leaders. Um, Debbie and Rawari were right to call that out because I think... You know, the, the response given to the threats against them and Māori uh, was was not good. Um, but there is work now. There's a focus of attention now on making sure that that threat is is uh, is properly dealt with, and the intelligence is gathered on who is behind it. I feel like every time you come on this program, I ask you the question about Ngāpuhi, the Ngāpuhi settlement. Um, but I'll ask you again. Tell tell us. Can you give us an yeah. update on what's happening there? Yeah, and, and you should do because Ngāpū is very important and, and, and I've made it important to me. So um, since the Crown withdrew its recognition of, of the previous mandate, there's been a lot of uh, kōrero, I think, between hapu. We've got one hapu grouping that the Crown has said it, it is happy to recognise, that's Te Whakai Tinga, um, uh, and they are in the process of getting a mandate from their people to engage with the Crown. There are other hapu groupings that are in conversations with each other, and I'm confident that we'll have more by the end of the year. Um, we're also looking... The, the Crown is looking very carefully about the way it deals with the, the, the treaty redress issues in the context of its broader relationship with Ngāpū and Can I just, can I just jump in there, because I'm a little bit confused. Is Marangake mm. off the table, and are you now looking at six separate uh, treaty settlements? Um, you're talking about Maranga Mai. Um, uh, Maranga Mai, sorry. We're not going. Yeah, we're not going down the the, the pure Maranga Mai model. But we've said, look, we, we will deal with groups of hapu um, who want to come, and we're not going to dictate what the number is because um, it may well be more than six. But what that has led to is, I think, and, and we are supporting hapu um, to have the the conversations and have and come together. Um, and there are discussions going on in Whangaroa, in Hokianga and uh, in other parts of the Rohe. Um, so there are those conversations and I'm confident that there will, we'll have more happy groupings come forward. Um, but as I say, the other thing is to make sure that the way the Crown engages right across that, that Rohe um, is, is actually consistent with what we're trying to achieve here with the redress issues and that is to, re to restore the relationship the way it once was. We can't ignore hefakaputanga so we're looking for opportunities to wānanga about that as well. Tēnā. We are about the total relationship with Ngāpuhi. Tēnā koe, uh, 
in Mihiana Kiakwe Ifaiwa Kia Haramaiki Runge Tehuiti Nakwe. Ko Andrew Little Tera Minita Taki Haura, uh, Ko Hikina Tehui Ehuama Nohorumaira. with support from New Zealand On Air.